0: Welcome to Inside the Hive. I am your host, Nick Bilton. So if I was given a magic wand that I could use on people and it would require them to appear on this very podcast, one of the people that I would use that wand on, of course, I would do Donald Trump. But I think the next person would be Dick Cheney. Now, we know that's not possible because Dick Cheney is not going to come on a Vanity Fair podcast. And I know that I couldn't get the next best thing, which was George W. Bush. So I went to the third best thing, which is Adam McKay, the incredible Oscar-winning writer and director of the new movie, Vice. So I can guarantee that you've seen something that McKay has produced, written, or directed over the last decade plus. He was the head writer on SNL for many years. He's behind movies and TV shows like Ant-Man. The Other Guys, Succession, Drunk History, Anchorman, and the groundbreaking Big Short. And, of course, his latest film on Cheney, George W. Bush, and the rest of that crazy gang. So, McKay going to come on the show and argue why that movie actually leads us to Donald Trump, and we're going to cover a lot of stuff in the next hour, including his critics, climate change, inequality, why the Democrats can sometimes be as bad or almost as bad as the Republicans, McKay's road himself from improv theater to big-budget movies, and about all the villainous politicians and Wall Street bankers that he's been writing about for the last few years.
1: Testing. testing one two three, testing one two three, testing. This is my normal voice. This is how I speak. <laughs> I think we're I think we're
0: rolling right here, Adam. Are we rolling, uh, Adam McKay? Thank you so much for joining us today on Vanity Fair's Inside the Hive. Uh, I have a million questions. First, I want to ask you. Uh, well, first, I want to say congratulations. Thank you. Are you excited?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, this Was it surprising that you got all these Oscar not. I mean, this. I was telling someone the other day. I was like, "This movie has been like no other movie I've ever worked on, as far as the split responses and the extreme love and extreme hate and like, you know, it's been the weirdest experience I've ever had. So it makes perfect sense that we would get eight Oscar nominations <laughs> <laughs> and then win none. <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: Um, hopefully that doesn't happen. All right. So first. Questions first. Have you have you heard anything from Cheney's camp after the movie? <sighs>
1: No, I heard two things kind of as the movie was coming out. One thing was that about a month before it came out, Mary Cheney followed me on Twitter. Uh-oh. Did you DM her? Uh, I did not, but I followed her back. And then I looked, she's not verified, but Mary Cheney wouldn't necessarily be verified. Good point. Good point. And I looked at the account and it did seem like Mary Cheney's account. Like there were like comments in there and if it was fake, it was very well done. So I did not DM I
0: think you should DM her right now on the show, and then we'll see what she should right. be like. Your right, dads. I'm grabbing
1: my phone. <laughs> Here we go. Hey, Mary, what's going on? <laughs> you will pay for what you have done. Okay, that did not. And what was the second thing? Uh, second thing was neighbors of ours know a journalist and who knows the Cheney's and was in a room with them at like their house, I guess, And was like, have you guys watched the trailer for Vice? And they're like, oh, God, no. And they're like, no, you should actually watch it. I think you'd like it. And she played the trailer for them. And they did laugh. Oh, they laughed. And the story that was passed back to me was that Cheney said, well, if that uh, movie that's about a woman falling in love with a fish can win an Oscar, maybe this has a chance. Wow. That's the actual story I was told. But once again, that's third-hand it, I do believe the story that they watched the trailer. That Cheney line is so good, though. I wonder if that didn't get made up somewhere along the way. I, it's, but he, I'm, he probably would have a line like that. You
0: know, I, I, the hard part I think is him laughing. You know that, snickering. I'm
1: sure in his case. Snickering. Yeah. <laughs>
0: All right. So, uh, so, when you were doing this, what what actually led you to the movie again? Was it just. This this hatred for the Republican Party
1: and George Bush and Dick Cheney, or was it? No, no, because you know we know the the problems we have now are certainly a lot of them are centralized in the Republican Party. But I, I you know, Democrats have their issues too. It more came out of the fact that it just you know we all lived through those eight years of W. Bush and Cheney, and it was kind of this realization, like, oh, that's it. Like, it's over with. Like, we're not going to talk about this anymore. Like, no one was talking about it. We're moving on. It was towards the end of Obama. And I just remember thinking, like, that's it. Like, wow. Uh, We killed, by some estimates, a million people and tortured and the world economy collapsed. And we're just going to move on from that one. And then you started seeing like George W. Bush on Ellen dancing. And you saw, I saw a thing with TMZ interviewing Dick Cheney and his SUV, kind of laughing with him. And have you ever seen that documentary act of killing? No. Uh, oh my God. It's amazing. It's about the genocide in, I think it's Indonesia, the East Timorian genocide. I believe that's the country. I haven't seen it in a while. And basically the dictatorship won. So all the people that did the genocide are like, Cool. They're like, hey, what's up? And they go on talk shows. And that's the way it started to feel a little bit. And uh, and so at that point, I was like, all right, we're going to tell the story of one of the least char- charismatic politicians who's ever, ever been through the American system.
0: Do you think that the, the current Trump
1: administration is worse than the Bush administration? You know, I, I I think it's a tricky thing. I, I've answered the question by saying as far as damage done, clearly W. Bush, Cheney's way worse uh, as far as what the damage done was. But it, it's really not a comparison. It's more of a continuum. And I think the story is really a 40-year-old story of what's happened with the Republican Party and what it's become. And I think with each president that they've had and, and the development of kind of their messaging and their base, I think it's just gotten crazier and crazier till now we're in full on crazy town. So it depends what you categorize as damage. I mean, basically Donald Trump just is dismantling the federal government, uh, whereas W. Bush and Cheney were invading countries and torturing and you know, putting lobbyists into regulatory positions, uh, aiding the world economy to collapse. So, um, it, it's a hard comparison, but I really think the story is not a comparison. I think it's a continuum, and I think Bush Cheney led to Donald Trump. If you had to, so you do. You did all this research for the movie, and
0: you uh, you essentially portray the majority of the country's problems as a result today, as a result of cheney and bush and so on
1: but i don't know about that i mean but like i I mean the 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 end of the the, part of the movie is the republican party is part of cheney's story so in the end when we show those clips our intention was never to say cheney did all of this it was to say you've seen a loss in faith in the government no one believes anything could be fixed opioid, 75,000 deaths a year, 35,000 gun deaths a year, and nothing's being fixed. No one believes in government. And this is all a result. Some of it's directly Cheney. Some of it's from the Republican Party. Some of it's just from our culture of just what's happened over the last 40 or 50 years. Look where we're at now was what we were trying to say. I have heard some people say like, are you saying Cheney did all of that? (laughs) Not not at all. We weren't saying that.
0: But do you think that that isn't a part of it and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, but isn't a part of it the fault of the Democrats? I mean, one thing that I find so fascinating is after uh, Bush Cheney left, you know, you have Obama that comes into office with the Senate, the House, sixty plus senators, tens of billions in cash reserves from that he could use for from his yeah, campaign d- very disappointing very did nothing disappointing. To, and to, didn't
1: prosecute the bankers also didn't go back and at least investigate the iraq war i mean i think they did a couple hearings in congress but for the most part didn't do that i was definitely disappointed I mean, I'd go even much deeper. I would say the Clinton administration, Bill Clinton administration, was disastrous for the Democratic Party and for the country, uh, as far as deregulating banking and you know stripping apart welfare. I mean, look, it, you can only tell so much of a you know look. You can only tell so much of a story. In one thing, and I and I think the the dance between the Democrats and the Republicans is an interesting one. I always compare it to the uh, the generals, the Washington Generals versus uh, the Harlem Globetrotters. And the Democrats have definitely taken on the role of the Washington Generals in the sense that- I'm not they're... a sports person. Can you explain that to me? So do you know, you know who the Harlem Globetrotters are? Yeah, the
0: Harlem Globetrotters are the ones that do all the cool stuff with the basketball. And never lose. And and never lose. Do and they actually play
1: games? Yes. Oh, and okay. they got to play a team. And the team they play is the Washington Generals. And they tour with the Washington Generals. And the Washington Generals can play basketball. I mean, they're professional basketball players, but they lose every single game. But they play well enough that it kind of looks like a game, kind of, if you squint your eyes. And you're nine years old. So the Democrats have definitely taken on that role, but I mean, I, I think part of what happened was the Republicans, once they got their marketing game going and once they really learned how to use language and once they kind of got their underlying mythology together, it became so powerful through the Reagan revolution that it you really saw like the Democrats kind of fall into its wake. Uh, and you see a lot of Democrats now kind of half trying to act like Republicans because the messaging of like strong father figures and independents are so powerful um, so I would still characterize this era that we're living in as the era of the Reagan or Republican revolution. I, I think it's hard not to slice it that way, but I by no means let Democrats off the hook. Do you think – okay, so if you – if someone showed
0: up um, at your house and uh, and you, and was trying to break in, right? Right. And, uh, and you called the cops, and the cops didn't come, and, and the guy – this is a really bad analogy, so excuse us here – but the guy steals your computer – are you going to be more pissed off at the guy that stole your computer or at the cops for not showing up? Like, and the 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 question I guess is is like, aren't you pissed off
1: at the Democrats for doing fucking nothing? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, do you ever read my Twitter feed? I slam the Democrats all the time. I mean, it's. But I would say here's the question: How did the Democrats start doing nothing? What happened to the well, Democrats? I, my
0: theory is that 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 the, the Republicans are better at messaging and the Democrats Democrats are diabolical. But I
1: mean, there actually are some like tangible changes that happened after the Reagan revolution. The big thing was that they took a lot of the restrictions off lobbying and influence peddling. So when you had in the early 70s, you had a couple thousand registered lobbyists in Washington DC. And by the end of Reagan's run, you were in the hundreds of thousands. Now you can't even calculate it. So basically Washington DC was like a wash in money. And once that happens, everyone gets a little screwed up. Suddenly you've got to start playing this game where you're half selling yourself out and that's the perfect, playing field for the Republicans. What I've always said is like, if you're going to fight Bruce Lee, don't choose as your means of fighting kung fu or jet do Pick like, <laughs> you know, a crossbow. And, and instead, the Democrats are like, we need to get more oil money to fight the Republicans. And they just lose and lose and lose ground. But I think what happened was, I think the Republicans, you look at, and by the way to their credit they pulled this off i mean they really did change the way america looked at government they changed the way america talked about government they turned government into a weakness as opposed to like a communal support system and you look at like bill clinton when he came in what does he do he uses their p he used lefty pr to get into office and then once he was in he used right-wing talking points to govern and I think you're just seeing that more and more. But to characterize this as a the starting point being a problem with the Democrats, I, I just don't see that. I see all the structural changes happened off the Reagan revolution. And I know it's like people and we're kind of conditioned for decade after decade not to blame one party or like it's not cool to just say, but i mean look at the end result of the republican party look at the world we're living in right now i mean it's like are the democrats lame without a doubt like thomas frank's book listen liberals is an amazing book and i agree with every word of it but jesus lord look at where we're at i mean i think the question kind of answers itself how do you think this how do you think this plays out in the next 2 years
0: this is just that look, it's like no one knows the answer, but I'm just curious is someone who just lived in the world of Dick Cheney and George Bush and Republican superpowers for
1: well, this for the is past so not like that I mean that's what's crazy is you know Cheney was like a Formula One race car driver, he knew every little turn and every move to make. This guy doesn't care, I mean, this guy's basically. I mean, he's, he's blacked out the windows and like cleaned out all the furniture and isn't answering the phone and like ripped the phone out of the wall. Like, this is almost like a siege in a way. It's more of a Connell show, right? So, probably what they do is this probably one of two things happen. They finally get Trump, where the stuff is so bad that it even cracks their kind of bubble of. Fox watchers or people who think everything's liberal media. So they finally get him and he has to resign. And then you see this massive thing for the Republicans going, Hey, we all came together rule of law and trying to play. Like we'll forget what they just enabled for the last I mean, I go all the way back to W. Bush Cheney, what they've enabled for the last 30 years, what they've been trying to do. That's one way. He has to resign. Republicans rely on people having a short memory. The second thing, and I think this is a legitimate possibility, is he doesn't run again. I've heard that from a few people, actually. He's miserable, and he's not in great health, and he's clearly failing mentally. But if he doesn't run again,
0: he risks risks, uh, going to jail. No,
1: maybe? I don't know. I don't think so, because I think... What he'll do is he'll leave and he'll say, I was too good for this government. I was too good for America. I tried to do all the right things. My supporters will always be there. He'll keep doing rallies around the country. He gets off on that. He'll never stop that. He also can monetize it. Uh, and then I think if they tried to jail him, he'd still potentially have some ugliness going on. And then he just ties stuff up in court. Who wants that fight once he's gone? Like You just want to forget about him. I mean, that's, that's really... The big thing that's kind of gotten us here is like a long chain of, can't we just move on? Going all the way back to Watergate, going to Iran-Contra, going to Bill Clinton, going to W. Bush, going now to Trump. is like, can't we just move on? Who, and who, who do you think is worse, Cheney or Trump? Worse in what regard?
0: A, a worse human being, a more evil, a more... Uh, dist- I, I mean, I, you know, you just said it earlier. One killed a million people, another d- didn't yet. But
1: uh, it's the comparison I make is that uh, Dick Cheney broke into the jewelry store, spent an hour with the stethoscope against the safe, very expertly listening to each click, got the safe open, took all the jewels, uh, snuck out the store, but left the front door open. Then about an hour later, as the sun's about to rise, a bunch of neighborhood dogs came into the store and crapped everywhere, pissed everywhere and ripped the carpet up. And that's Trump. And we're really (laughs) mad about Trump. And we're yelling at Trump for crapping on the floor. So who's worse? I mean, there's a reason we put the image of like a hyena in our movie. Like, I think at some point this just becomes raw physiological Animal drive and I think that's where we're at right now. I mean, I I really do. I mean Trump feels like he's half a step away from blacking out the windows of the white house I mean, that's how crazy he is and he fires everyone around him I mean, I think one of the problems we've had with the movie vice as far as the way people receive it. Is there's clearly a lot of people that love it, but I think this idea that the Republican Party is really this cartoonishly rotten makes some people uncomfortable, feels like an easy answer, feels like a kind of knee jerk lefty answer. And some people are kind of bothered by that that we've encountered, but I really think they are. I really think like it's they're that toxic. And I don't see why it's so crazy the idea that like a political party in a country can become toxic. Like, why is that a radical idea that we've seen it happen thousands of times? Have you heard,
0: since the movies come out, have you heard from any
1: Republicans about it and what their thoughts were? Well, uh, there's a bunch of them that just call it a liberal hit job, but that's kind of the go-to move. And my answer to that is always, really, what's not true? You know, um, we didn't invade Iraq based on false intelligence. We didn't torture. We didn't, you know, uh, these things didn't happen. Uh, So that was kind of a predictable one. Then there were a couple that were trying to be super clever. There was like some guy from the Washington Post who was like, you know what? I'm a Republican and I love it. (laughs) And for the end of his speech in the end, I applauded because he's like a father figure. And I think like Chuck Scarborough said like, you know, I'll take cold confidence over Trump any day. And I wanted to, someone sent me the clip. And of course I wanted to scream like, we killed nearly a million people, what are you talking about? But conveniently, Scarborough supported the war, so that's not All right, so I surprising. actually
0: want to go to that the end clip, and I apologize to people who who are listening that haven't seen it yet. Uh, it actually doesn't make a difference. Uh, you'll still enjoy it and love it. But uh, that end clip felt to me like he, you kind of understood his thinking. Uh, and in some regard, you— I got this feeling of like, look, it's a really nasty world out there. Someone's got to do the job. I did it. That's exactly what it's supposed to be. Now, but it also, but the the reason I bring that up is because isn't, at some point, don't you say like, okay, he wasn't that bad by saying
1: that? Or are you... I, I just can't imagine how you could like know and watch everything he just did. And then he gives that hackneyed old reason of I'm keeping you safe and I know it it resonates on a like warm your mom holding in her arms kind of way for everyone I mean psychologically that message just resonates but clearly it's it's crap right I mean like so we put it in there for me I found that speech terrifying I found it like And then when I saw some people were like, you know, he's got a point. I'm like, oh God, help us all. (laughs) Uh, Really? Like after everything you just saw? So that's why I put it in. I, I thought like you've just watched two hours and 10 minutes of this guy's rise to power and his addiction to power and his mastery of power. And clearly, I mean, the argument I've also had in this movie is he's not driven by an ideology is oh, not, no, none not of these driven people are. by, no, he's not driven by like the greater good of America, maybe vaguely in his mind. Uh, and then he tells you in the end, he did what he needed to do. He kept us safe. And yet he invaded Iraq and destabilized the whole middle East and nine 11 happened on his watch. So that's why we put it in. I kind of felt like, you know what? Screw it. Let's let the Gorgon turn to camera and stare us right in the eyes. And then of course it's Bales, So it's amazing. Uh, but I don't know. It, you know, it, Ron Suskind said the movie's like a Rorschach test for America was his comment about it. That's a smart way of putting it. And it's kind of true because yeah. I've been in screenings where I've heard some people applaud that speech and it really shocked me. And I've heard people say that they actually, Republicans say that they thought the movie was pretty fair to Cheney. And then I've heard Republicans say it's a left-wing hit piece. And then I've heard lefties say it's too soft on them. And then I've heard lefties say, you know, it's, uh, you, you didn't give him enough of an ideology. You didn't show this. So that has kind of been the reaction.
0: Do you, does the criticism of it, and the the applause of it, does it bother you or does it make you? Do you lay in bed at night to read the reviews? Do you care about them? Like, do you regret I regret really, parts of the
1: movie. I really wanted these, you know, when we're making these movies like The Big Short and even the, maybe it comes from my comedy background. I want the movies to be like a conversation with the audience. I want them to be an engagement. So I don't read all the reviews, but I do look at reactions and I look at certain reviews. And like, you know, if someone writes an op-ed piece, I'll read that. And I'm always chomping at the bit to get into it, to like go back and forth. Movie studios don't like that. So they tell me not to do it. But (laughs) if it were up to me, like I would be writing op-eds and going, well, that's an interesting point, but here's the way we feel. And I wanted there to be engagement in this movie. The movie's designed not to be a traditional political biopic. It's supposed to engage the audience and be unsettling. Um, So... I, I would say where I've reached now is it's fascinating. It's huh. really interesting. There's never a
0: time that you see like a tweet from like an egg with four followers where you're like, that really hurt my feelings.
1: <laughs> early on, early on, the first week or two, I bit on a couple of those, those. Oh, you did? Yeah. Someone did like a smart snarky dismissal of the movie and I'm like, screw you. And it was like one in the morning. And I'm like, oh, why did I do that? I took it down. <laughs> and then James Mann wrote, the, the you know, Rise of the Vulcans guy wrote a big piece in the Washington Post that was pissed at the movie because it didn't use his interpretation of Cheney that he had in his book. And I got pissed at that. I felt like, come on, man. What are you doing? We're trying to get this story out here. And you're mad because we didn't use your book. Did you, you use know? anyone's book? No, we used everyone's book. Got it. We basically read everything and all the interviews. And then we hired our own journalists to go do interviews off the record. And because we, there wasn't really a book that did the whole shebang. There were a bunch of books that did like his early life. And then an episode like Barton Gelman wrote a great book, but it was like some of his early life. And then mostly about the DOJ and Ashcroft and the hospital and that stuff. So we didn't really end up picking one book.
0: If you could have asked him uh, one question for the movie, for your research, what would the question have been?
1: Uh, Is it a mythical world where he has to give me a true answer? Or is it... it's. (laughs) <laughs> Is it uh, just, he's going to give me an answer? It's dictionary? a mythical world where
0: he has to give you, he's like, he, he's tied up in your office with duct tape to your chair and you've just given him one of those serums that makes him, <laughs> makes him be honest. And
1: he, Which don't exist, but it, still, in this world and it in, does In this
0: it. mythical world, and he, he, he has uh,
1: one minute to answer the question. Do you ever, when you're in your bathroom at night, when you're getting into bed, do you ever have one second of doubt about the Iraq war? Huh. That would be it. His answer would be, what do you think? I think no. I'd be, I'd be, yes. You do, you think so? Yeah. Yeah. I think I he, once I heard he heard a knows. great, I think he knows it was a catastrophe in his heart of hearts, but I think he's in legacy defense mode and he's very good at staying on message. You'll never hear him say that, but I think just those weird little moments where you're walking up the stairs or- I think there's a little
0: part of them. I once re- uh, a friend worked on um, uh, worked at the State Department and uh, told me that a former Secretary of State had said that you can never in your even in your heart in your mind you can never think about the fact that you may have sent these kids off to die for no reason. You have to come up with a reason in your mind just because you know that their parents if they if they realized it was bullshit the. The way that they would handle it and so they you'd literally just find ways to
1: justify everything you have to you have to and i and i understand that um but the he goes further than that when you ask him about it i mean you know it's one thing to say our freedoms were threatened saddam had killed his own people he goes like six steps further and and the torture too he's also unapologetic about you don't need to defend torture and uh but there are a lot of people do you really think that this is all about was it all about oil no, no. Actually, you know, it, it's we tried not to answer some of those questions too explicitly and especially with Iraq. But, I think, you're, you're, but just your opinion based on. Oh, oh no, no, absolutely. Believe me, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to gab about it. Um, it uh, I think it's two things. I think it's unitary executive and oil. Those are the two things I think it's about. Unitary executive really act. The strong interpretation of unitary executive really activates when you're at war. And as we all know, presidents are a lot stronger, but specifically, Cheney was aware of Unitary Executive. And I do think it was about oil. They have nationalized oil, he's an oil man. Everyone hates when you're in the oil game, they hate nationalized oil. Also, Saddam was only operating at 60% efficiency. And I think that drove them crazy too. And Cheney at his really my final interpretation of him is he's kind of a codependent to power. So I think he hung out with these oil guys. I think he hung out with the neocons. And I think ultimately he serves power and that's how he gets his power. So my final interpretation was oil and unitary executive. So you, I, you, you used to do uh, – I'm going to shift gears here for a second. So you, you,
0: you did improv at Second City, right? Yes. Uh, and Dick Costolo, uh, who was the CEO of Twitter, uh, was telling me you guys all did um, this kind of improv called The Third Way. Third Thought. The Third Thought. Yes. And, that, and, that, and uh, uh, another mutual friend uh, who uh, composed the music for The Big Short, Nick, he told me about how you do that with your screenwriting – Yes, you're, you're
1: doing that. Can you t- how does that? How do you do that? Explain how it works. So, is this guy Del Close, who a lot of people have heard of, but then a lot of people haven't, and he is kind of the guy who created long form improvisation. Um, he came out of the committee in the '60s. He used to do light shows for the Grateful Dead. He was like Elron Hubbard's fencing partner in like the late '50s. This larger than life kind of beatnik guy, and he became the guru of the comedy scene in Chicago and created all these long form improvisations, first person to do it. um, And he just had a bunch of maxims and ways that he would teach. And one of the big ones was wait for the third thought. So if you were on stage in a class and you had an initiating line, uh, just say any line like you're starting a scene. Uh, I love cats. All right. So I love cats. My knee jerk would be like, uh, so do I, you know, whatever. All right. That's okay. That's basically, I'm not really adding much to what you just said. I added a little emotional urgency. So maybe now I'm the, you're the guy who really does love cats and I'm the guy who loves cats too much. What's the second thought? I love cats. Um, well, the second thought would be when you hear the word cat, you think of like a comedic scene. It's going to go funny. It's going to be cats and dogs. Maybe I'll take it darker and say, uh, I know you do, sir, and I want you to know what I'm about to do brings me no pleasure. You know, Maybe I'm putting down your cat. Who knows? Maybe I'm interrogating your cat. Who knows where it's going? So that would be a second thought. So third thought would be, <laughs> all right, third thought is actually really stupid. Sometimes the third thought's really stupid, but I might just meow back at you <laughs> just because I want to see where that goes. That might be the third thought. Um, and then you can sometimes push it to the fourth thought. So Dell Close, when you were on stage, you would have an initiation of a line, and you would respond, and he would go, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, stop! Why did you answer that so quickly?" Because oh, I wanted to say that. And he goes, "Is that really the best answer?" It was so quick. Isn't there anything else? Can you think for a second? And he would actually stop scenes, and he would. Say, look for your third thought. TV commercials are first thought. You know, second thought is mediocre comedy. Third thought is where you start to get to good stuff. And he would, people would quit his classes because it was kind of a drag. You never got to do your scene. But what came out of it was uh, eventually you get fast with it. And our group that was like uh, most of the original Upright Citizens Brigade, uh, plus Neil Flynn from Scrubs, Rachel Dratch. It was a bunch of us, our improv group. And eventually, you get fast at it. You get pretty quick at getting to the third thought. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think we all do that. I'm sure you do that as well. Without calling it third thought, you just try and make sure you're operating. But is that, so is it this? Is it
0: that school of thinking that kind of you? You know, you definitely have a very unique style. Well, for the last two movies you've done, where it's. It's like a blur between, it's all, you know, it's great writing, but it's documentary kind of in some respects, and it's film, and it's still photo. It's like literally like, you know, like
1: a collage almost. Sure. It, is that where that comes from? I think, you know, each movie kind of, you know, each story says, hey, you need to do this, right? Will every movie so, that you
0: ever do be this style, do you think, from no, now on? No,
1: no, 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 for sure not. Got it. Um, Short. Uh, big Short. The big stumbling block with adapting that book is that it's a bunch of people on phones and offices, right? And that the financial products are so esoteric that even you know when I started reading about them, I got bored. So, those were the two stumbling blocks. So, I knew I wanted to shoot that handheld style, that uh, Greengrass style. So, Barry Aykroyd's one of the innovators of that. So, I brought him in to give the camera urgency, <laughs> And then I knew we had to depict a big world. You needed to feel the world effects of this, but I didn't have $120 million. So uh, Hank and I, my editor talked about using kind of cultural detritus and clips to kind of feel American culture and feel the scope of the world. So. That's where that came out of. And then, you know, for me, I didn't know those financial products. So I just nakedly did what I'd like to see in a movie, which is someone stare me in the face and go, OK, here's what it is. Yeah. And then try and do it in a fun way. With Cheney, it was a different road to this. With Cheney, I just felt like, you know, the world's so strange and upside down. And this story is so horrifying and bizarre and, and odd and kind of contradicts all traditional storytelling methods in the sense that this guy is a shadowy background figure. It's not exactly a Joseph Campbell story, um, hero's arc. So I wanted to make the movie off balance and unsettling and unpredictable and just not have it fall into that traditional three-act structure. So that's kind of where it came from. And also a lot of his tools of power are kind of boring i mean yeah. they are kind of flat if you look at them on the page and his challenges to constitutional law and international law i mean how do you depict that so that's kind of where the waiter came out of uh you know presenting the menu so i, I don't think we'll do this for every movie but it was an interesting discovery with the big short and it seemed like it could be used in did an you interesting know when way. you
0: did the big short
1: okay this is cool like this is different Oh yeah, I loved it. I loved it. I mean, it was, uh, it was definitely freeing immediately. Like all of a sudden there was all this extra real estate you could cover that usually is hard to cover in movies. When you,
0: um, if you were to do a movie, let's just say I just came in the room, I gave you $120 million. You can do a movie about Donald Trump. How would you, who would you cast? Like who would,
1: what would the story be? Uh, So Donald Trump is tricky because now it just feels like he's just a compulsive, he's barely a person. He's just a compulsive event, (laughs) orange event. So I don't think I would do him now. I don't think I would do the election. I think I'd go back to, I'm fascinated by his father and his brother. Oh, yeah. And I think I would do it animated. I think I would do it. Yeah. I think I would do it, but like grown-up animation, not kids animation. I would do like a Charles Burns kind of style, or I'm sure if I dug deeper, I could find some even cooler animator, like a style to it. I wouldn't quite do like Daniel Klaus. That's even a little too playful. I would do like really detailed, almost... Painting like animation, but I would I would do it as an animated film. One hundred twenty million dollars a lot of money. I just threw it out there because you said you didn't have that for the short. So. <laughs> Very few people ever get one hundred twenty million dollars to make a movie. Avatar, but Avatar, uh, and that's about it, right? That's Water it. World. I think that's the only one ever.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I was just curious, uh, given the the thought process that of course has gone through I mean, the Republican stuff and the you know,
1: I mean you, you could do you could do a full musical. I mean, you really could. That would be very cool. And I'm not, I don't mean...
0: Kellyanne I, Conway as a uh,
1: backup singer. I mean... Right? And, and not necessarily even Broadway style, more like uh, Frank's Wild Years kind of, uh, you know, uh, dir- I, dirgy kind of, you know... Do I get a producing credit now? I mean... You, if I do a musical about <laughs> Donald Trump, you are now at least an EP. Okay, great. Perfect. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh... Um, if you so you went,
0: you've taken this route from you know improv to comedy, anchorman, so on and so forth to these incredibly serious, esoteric topics. Um, is this the is is are you going to continue on this route? I mean, do you do you feel like the 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 medium is has the ability to send a larger message, or would you kind of like to jump around and do? comedy again or
1: I think you know it's I guess the the premise of the last two movies in doing them is that we are in incredibly unique catastrophic times right like you're always supposed to look at the world with some kind of remove and you're supposed to realize that every time during human history people were like this is the craziest time ever but I kind of really think it is, <laughs> at least with global warming. Well, that was my next question is, is would you do a movie on global warming? So that's warming? what I'm working on now. So, I, And I feel like movies can go to some places that articles, books, TV shows, documentaries can't go. Oh, without like, question. Yeah, without question. Without question. The <laughs> same way that books, documentaries, and articles can go to places movies can't go. And, and movies just, once they get out there, they're like on TV all the time and- with how scary the global warming got, and that that UN report really knocked me out of my chair. I Just of today, like-
0: today, did you, did you see the latest? I mean, 75% of America is going to be, you know, in freezing cold weather this week. You've got all-time highs in... Uh, Australia for the last God wow. knows how many hundreds of years you've got all-time lows in the North North America you've got I had a guest on last week who was talking about all the mass extinctions in the past and how so all the things that we're going through now are just the same signs that we went through oh. hundreds of millions of years ago and and you know AOC is saying we have 12 years to fix this and the Republicans are of course like you're an
1: idiot which is totally not the case she's completely right she is completely right and uh I think oddly, after all this research about the Republican revolution and Cheney, the biggest legacy is going to be them ignoring and misleading people on global warming. I think everything else is going to dwarf compared to that. Um and hey, some of the Democrats are pretty lame as well. I mean, they're like But how do you make how do you make people the problem with global warming
0: is it's it's like a catastrophe that's happening in slow motion. Right. Uh and it's the same it's the same problem with with gun violence in America. People think, "Oh, it's not going to happen to me." I you know. You could even say
1: the financial crisis was kind of like that. I mean,
0: yeah, was, all what, of it. And it's 14 it, years in the making. Yeah. And it's like so how do you how do you think you make people understand this is actually diabolical
1: for civilization? So I you know, I follow all the climate scientists on Twitter, Bill McKibben and Michael Mann and all those people. I've read all the Data I've read, you know, uh, a book laying around here somewhere. I just got a new book, global warming. So I've done a fair amount of research, and I've come up with this really novel, I think, highly original, effective approach, which is you panic. <laughs> 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 and I am fully panicked. I am pit stained out, panicked. So I'm going to try and do a movie. I, I here's what I know. I mean, and I don't. I clearly don't know much on this. I don't think many of us do. But uh, I know a dystopic movie ain't no good. I know that, like, that's not going to do it, right? Why? (sighs) I mean, maybe someone else can do it. Maybe me doing it. Maybe that's what I should say instead. Me doing a dystopic movie ain't going to do it. And I did have an idea. I had a pretty cool idea. But... Really? Is that going to really get you there? There's so many dystopic movies have been made. I feel like it's. You mean like The Day After Tomorrow, things like that? Yeah, well, and, and just all the, the tweener novels that are just. Just the genre itself is so heavily oversaturated that you need something that's going to ring out in a unique way. That's going to cat. You need to make a new sound that makes the dog's head tilt, you know, where it's like, what's that? And what is that? So I'm kicking around the idea of kind of like, I have a poster a Japanese poster for network over here like a a taut kind of funny satire that just cooks and is like way more of a comedy than what I've done the last couple movies so I I have an idea I'm kicking around for that and then I have another kind of more clever idea that's a little smaller But I kind of feel like I have no choice. Like I just feel like this is the biggest story in the history of mankind. This is the story of all stories. And to go do a movie about uh, a guy who bumps into a girl he has a crush on, I mean, just... Seems crazy at this point.
0: One thing, I was at a, a, a Republican rally uh, last, this, around this time last year, and I remember when Trump was there speaking, I was covering it for, for a story I was doing, and and I there was 10,000 people and cheering and yelling and whatnot. And I had this realization, which I had never had before, looking on TV at, and, and, and so on and reading all these articles, that god could have literally opened that stadium and said this guy is bad news don't <laughs> listen to him and they would have pointed up and been like fake news and there is there is literally there would have been nothing that i could say to those people on that stadium that would have changed a single person's mind and i'm curious is the goal with you know the big short with with cheney with with this is it who's who are you trying to talk
1: to I mean, I'm trying to. In no way do I think any movie can start the whole deal. I mean, it's definitely, you know, a handful of sand at best into the giant swimming pool. Boy, that's a lousy metaphor. But um, <laughs> let's that's go a with the third net. version. Come on, well, let's get to the third one. <laughs> <laughs> that was that wasn't even first thought. That was that was like a muscle pull. Um, so no. No, there's no way, but you know how it is. It's like when I do believe this, I do believe that ideas have their own power. And I do believe that when ideas are out in the world, they bounce around and they hit other people and they have effects that you can't always track and plan. So at the least with what I do, I should be putting stuff out there and who knows what's going to happen. Sometimes it just may thud. Sometimes it may ricochet around. It's the same with what you do. I mean, with what all of us do, right? It's amazing what things you'll hear about eight years later where you're like, Oh God, I remember where that came from. So I got to try and it is what I do. And The one thing I'll say, let me get a little optimistic on you here, is I have seen people change their mind. Like we used to go, I I hate skiing with a passion, but my wife and oldest daughter love it. So we used to go to Colorado and ski and I have an aunt there and we'd visit family and I hated it. But we went and like two winters in a row, it was like 42 degrees every day and there was no snow. And it's very Republican up there in those mountains. It always was. I mean, because I was born in Colorado, so I I know that area pretty well. And boy, oh boy, did that conversation change up there fast. And all of a sudden, there were op-eds in the paper, and you heard people talking on the streets about global warming is real, real quick. And I wonder, like, did you hear about Phoenix last year where it was 130? degrees? Oh, yeah, and the, the airplane's wheels were melting. I mean, airplanes couldn't take off because the air wasn't... It was moving too fast so they couldn't get wing lift on it so they had to cancel flights people's feet sticking in macadam because it's melting like that will change people's minds well and if you have information bouncing around if you have a book by you or i've made a movie or someone hopefully has made a way better movie um that stuff can then start to stick off those events uh you're not buying any of this, are you? It's no, I, I, I truly. It's
0: so funny. It's so. So my editor John Kelly uh, comes on the show at the end of you know after this he'll he'll will BS for a little bit. And last week I said to him it was Thursday and I said, um, how long do you think the shutdown will last? The government shutdown. And he said it's going to last until you get some Congress people who are waiting in line at an airport and their flight is canceled. And the next day the shutdown goes. And I I see on Twitter. Uh, pictures of these Congress people in line, and I sent it to him. I said, "You're you're a genius. Uh, you like, f-, and it's true." And I feel like. You know, one of the things you mentioned, that the, the Arizona, uh, the, the airplanes couldn't take off. Like, uh, um, one of the things that a friend of mine um, who has worked on movies around this around this stuff and documentaries was saying is that if, w- when, with climate change, like, one example is that it, because it's going to become so hot during the day, you won't be able to take off. And at night, you may not be able to fly because there'll be so much turbulence. From That's the right. That's right. And so, uh, we, 220,000 planes are in the air at any one given point in time. Like, they want, what happens when these business people
1: and Donald Trump and people like that can't can't fly. I how, think it's- how far away are we from hearing about like like once every hundred year types of wind shears because the heat transfer gets so crazy? Like when do the when do when do like the physics of flying start to get altered by this? Have you heard that like football players in like the South and the Midwest can't uh, practice after school anymore? They have to come at like five in the morning when it's dark out That's so because crazy. it's too hot. And this is starting to happen all around like these big, like in Texas, Florida, these big football states. Those are the changes that are going to make the difference. And then hopefully, if there's information there, you know, whether it's a great book, whether it's a TV show, whether it's a news broadcast, whatever it is, if there's information there, it can then stick at that point. I mean, but it is, I mean, basically what you're describing is pain, right? I mean, inconvenience, pain, discomfort. like An inconvenient truth. (laughs) All right, I'm out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, God, he was, by the way, how far ahead was he? I know. You got to give that mofo credit. It's true.
0: He invented the internet and then he went and told us the shit is going to get real and. And grew a beard. And I actually do think he had an impact. I think that there were people that saw that and they. You know, they got
1: LED light bulbs and they, you know, maybe got an electric car. It and- me up a little bit. I mean, I didn't realize how serious it was till I saw that and that graph with the crazy spike at the end of it. And I definitely started talking about it after that. And and you're right. Like, we got solar panels and we got the electric car. And my family now doesn't wear clothes. And we live up in the hills <laughs> and don't know how to speak English. and <laughs>
0: Um, uh, all right, last couple of questions, and then I'll, I'll let you uh, get back to your new puppy. Uh, uh, I just forgot what my questions were. Um, you you want to you talk about new puppies, don't you? I
1: do want it. We have the How same... can we tie puppies to awareness of global warming? If there'll be no more puppies. And what that's we... when shit is really <laughs> going to get real. What if we made porno films where the characters incidentally talk about global warming before the really nasty stuff happens? That's your solution? Okay.
0: <laughs> you know there's 84 million dogs in america i didn't
1: know this 84 Isn't, million people have dogs 84 is that million true? Families. yeah it's wild right it almost seems like you're setting something up for like a revolution like that, if you said that, that with a slightly more sinister tone 84 million people <laughs> um when you, so, so uh,
0: you've done all these films in the last few years, and you're now doing this thing on, on climate change, and you obviously read a lot, and you're on Twitter, which is really bad for your health. It yep, um, definitely is, by the way. Uh, d- do you go to, I mean, I have these moments sometimes when I see Trump speak, and I see McConnell not do his job, and Paul Ryan be a, I'm going to disgusting, it's a disgusting, vile boy reads Ayn Rand that we all yeah. remember in and the I, 20s. And I have this kind of, there's a part, and I also like see these douchebags in Silicon Valley and that are, you know, taking advantage of people's privacy and, and yep. so on and getting away with murder essentially. And I sometimes lay in bed at night and I think like, Jesus Christ, these, this is all so fucked up. Like when you, you're living with these people for <laughs> for years at a time. Like when you get into bed at night and Dick Cheney's sitting on your pillow, do you think to yourself like, oh my God?
1: You know, I like how you're making it sound like I just did the Ted Bundy documentary. <laughs> um, not with Cheney, because I felt like... that that dude was about to get away with it all and just walk across the horizon line and at least I'm doing this movie. So I felt a little bit empowered with that. Like at least I'm kind of given one last shout, like, hey, remember this. The one that gets me is the climate change. The day that UN, the global warming, the UN report came out saying, oh, it's way worse, way faster. We may only have 12 years before the window closes. I was freaked out for three days, like really emotionally upset and was going online, trying to read other information, trying to like calm myself down. Like I really freaked out about that. Um, So that's the one that really gets me. The rest of this stuff, don't you kind of feel like we've been through a lot of these songs and dances before? Like we've only had democracy for what, 270 years or something? It was before that it was all kings who said God chose them. Like it's not surprising to me that we would kind of start- Don't we have a king who thinks God chose him right now? Uh, we, pretty pretty close we definitely do uh so it's not surprising that we would kind of screw it up because it's still relatively new it's not surprising that we would continue to have economic crashes because that's all relatively new but the one that just sticks out is this global warming because you don't get a do over with it you don't get a you're not allowed to make a mistake with it so that that does freak me out that and that literally has kept me awake at night before. what about inequality <clears throat> i mean you
0: have a world we where i mean where they're the top four richest people on the planet. Have the same amount of wealth as the bottom three point six billion. You have people in, you know, I'm you gonna, know, you know, I'm worth five point four billion. I know, right? I, I know, I, I I saw as there was a bank statement on the front when I came in. And, oh, how did that get there?
1: Uh, <laughs> um, no, do you think doesn't that? Yeah, just, it sickens me. It sickens me. It's terrible. And what's so sad about it is. The country works better when you don't have runaway inequality. Like our greatest years in America, we created the middle class in the 1940s and 50s. That's why the world looked to us. That's where all that great art and music came out of. That's where all that great innovation came from. No, it drives me crazy. Every single vote I cast, everything I do is trying to uh, mitigate inequality. I definitely support raising my own taxes, all of it. I definitely support, you know, equal pay. for All that stuff is... Every bit of my politics, every choice I make is about that homelessness. I haven't stopped doing that. I'm very involved in the the gun. You know, I've worked with the Brady Center and a bunch of different gun rights group. We've we've unfortunately been sort of touched by gun violence in our family. So all of that is immensely important, and I haven't let up on it. But man, global warming is an extinction level event. It's like we're all dead forever, and it just. That's the one that makes me. In fact, even talking to you about it right now, it's like, and it freaks me out. I mean, does it freak you out to some degree? It,
0: it absolutely freaks me. I mean, it, it it goes back to the question. You know, for me, it becomes a much more existential question of, are we just a blip in time? You know, we we tend to think of ourselves as these uh, this superior intellectual being, uh, and that some higher power put us here for some reason. And part of me wonders if maybe it
1: you know we're just no different from dinosaurs. We're just a little smarter. It's very very possible, but I don't necessarily believe we were put here by a divine being or anything. But I it does seem like there have been stretches where mankind has done some pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, we are capable of it, and it would be. It would just be great if we had a chance to do amazing stuff for the next thousand years, as opposed to in the next hundred and fifty years, we're gone. Or twelve. You know? And by the way, what other choice do we have? I mean, like, <clears> yeah. you can't. You know. But, but you I think the point you're really saying is relax. What the hell can you? No, some- no, I don't. I don't.
0: Absolutely not. I, I I believe that we all have a role to play. Um. In and but but at the same time, it's what's so hard is, you know, it feels like you're, you're building the sandcastle underwater in some respects. It's yeah, like, yeah. um, uh, it's and brutal. It's, it's brutal. And, and I, and I go to these, you know, for work, I cover these things and I meet these Republicans and, and a lot of them that, you know, like a lot of the people I meet, they're actually really sweet and kind human beings. And in person, there's some that are, are racist assholes, but, sure. but, um, and it's so what's what, Gets me is how do you convince these people? How do you make them understand? You said it with the Colorado stuff. I think it's going to be
1: circumstance meets ideas. And I actually had this idea. Of, I was talking with. Uh, are you friends with Adam Davidson at all? Do you know mm-hmm. him? Yeah, yeah, yeah a little. Well, bit. I know he. I know
0: he knows my uh, through my editor, and we've bu- I think bumped into the, each other uh, okay.
1: at the. He and I talked about the idea of doing. You guys a pod- had a podcast, right, for a while. We did. It was short lived. We only did like five episodes. And- long story. But anyway, um, uh, but we did, we, I like podcasting and I came up with the idea with Davidson that maybe we just write the new green deal that maybe we just do a podcast where we, you know, who you
0: should do it with AOC, you, AOC and Adam Davidson. A, new, a weekly podcast on climate change.
1: I mean, honest to God, like, because Michael Mann I've talked with, you know, the scientists from Penn State get McKibben to come in and actually write the bill. Like, really write it. Like, doesn't mean that it's going to become the bill, but at least. It's a really good idea. It's kind of an interesting idea because I do think, and after talking to you even more so, that this idea of circumstance meets ready ideas is going to be the answer that yep. it's going to be an awakening and everything's got to be ready to go. Once it hits, you know Um I also do think like with this kind of like, I do find myself like either freaking out or laughing uh, about all this crazy stuff because it's the only two moves I got for it are freaking out and laughing. Like, yeah. yeah. It, um I mean the global warming is, Horrifying. It's terrifying. It's what's also.
0: Ter- well, I had someone on a year ago, I think, a, a guest on here, and um, he did the documentary Chasing Coral. Okay. Uh, it's a great documentary about all the coral reefs are dying. And he was saying that imagine for a moment that your body heated up two degrees, just two degrees. And that was how you literally had to live. For wow, the next few years. That's, a great that's what's happening to the ocean. And he said, and now imagine it heats up seven degrees, which is what they predict is going to happen in the next Jesus. 10 to 100 years. Imagine literally you go from 98 or whatever it is to 105. Like you would.
1: You wouldn't be able to do anything. You'd have to lay in a bathtub full of ice all the time without exaggeration. You go to the hospital. Do you know the guy, Eric, uh, how do you say his name? Holthos? Mm -mm. Uh, He's from Minnesota. He's a climate activist and a meteorologist. He's really good. And he just had one the other day. It It showed global temperatures for like the last million years based on core samples. And then obviously, as you get more modern, specific readings. And it showed when mankind, oh, it was from the beginning of mankind. It was the temperatures when mankind came around. And it's the zone that we thrived in. And then it shows that uh, mankind, uh, the temperature changing. And we are now out of the temperate zone that created human life. We are officially out of that zone. Right now we are. And the graph just tangibly showed like mankind going out of that zone into a higher temperature. And that was another one that got me where I was like, Holy
0: moly. The, Um, the guy I had on last week, uh, who wrote the book, the ends of the world, Peter Brannon, he, I was, he was saying how with the last mass extinction, 100 million years ago it was the super volcanoes that that did essentially you know that wiped out uh, 90% of life on earth and I said well what's there's no super volcanoes anymore What's the what's the equivalent and he said that someone said that back then they had vo- volcanoes now we have Volvos and it's the same the amount of wow. CO2 being put into the earth from cars and coal is equal to the super volcanoes that took place uh, that's chilling
1: yeah I hate can we to end under, on like a I, good I hate I could, to undercut you but the whole interview Nick drove up in an expedition ford expedition and he left it running right in front of my front window i'm looking at it right now I, it's a it's a v15 <laughs> do they make those a v16
0: i guess it would be uh uh and i put the lowest the lowest
1: grade gasoline. i can hear the engine through the windows like um i see so we should end on a happier note what well, um, can we end on come on all like right third, all right here's some good news way. let me let me throw some good news out uh isn't like hasn't Germany like had a couple months where the entire country has operated 100% renewable energy? Have they? I believe so or maybe I'm thinking of Sweden. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> i well we 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 have a promise in california that it's going to be all electric in the next
1: um, x number of years california is on a nice track yeah i gotta say i like i like where our legislature is at i, I totally like agree the newson guy seems like a true believer well you know when you, you know when you go to europe you do see windmills and solar panels everywhere and, like-
0: and small tiny little cars and People eating fish and chips. It's a much happier place than here, honestly. And really good Indian food. And very good. Ch- chips and curry
1: is oh, what I grew up on. Oh, the best. The good stuff. Should we end talking about chips and curry? I think
0: so. I think that's it. Adam, oh. thank you so much for taking the time today. This has been fascinating, as always. Very fun, Nick.
1: Thanks for having me. Of course.
0: Thanks to my guest today, Adam McKay. If you enjoyed this conversation and don't think we're going to die next week because of climate change, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. That is me. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there, preferably one with five stars and something that says, this is the most amazing podcast I've ever listened to. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. I will see you all next week. Sayonara.